us, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better! Hi everyone and welcome to the Real Science Podcast, a podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and then pick apart the science. My name's Kenan Smith. My name's Sean Crossan. <laughs> I am the Michael Pace. The Michael Pace? The Michael Pace. We are so blessed to have you in our presence. <laughs> Guys, you know this is our 10th episode? Oh yeah. We're in the double digits now. It's our 10th anniversary. Yeah, it's that's not right? what anniversary means. Month anniversary. annual, but sure. Tenth, it's our 10th anniversary. 10th bi-weekly anniversary. <laughs> sure, sure. What'd you get me? Nothing. Ooh, great. <laughs> None of those are right. Before we get started, Pace, uh, do we have any, discl- do the authors have any disclosures for the audience? The authors? That's us. Are we the, are we the authors? We are. Yes. Right? You know what we also are? What? Three naughty boys. We are three naughty boys. <laughs> and that's okay. because sometimes we say some bad words. We do say bad words. And uh, you might hear some bad words because of this. Especially tonight, because it's super late, because the movie we watched was three hours. Yes. A little bit of- what oh, film did we watch? We watched Avatar by James nope, Cameron. Nope. No, no, not The Last Airbender. Oh. Uh, we, you know what? I've had enough M. Night Shyamalan for the past two movies. I oh think we God, should yeah. just go in a different one. So we watched Avatar. Just That's Avatar. It, just Avatar. James yeah. Cameron's 2009. Nice. 2009 yep. by James Cameron. James Cameron, who also did Titanic. What else did he do? Which you might have seen. Uh, I don't know. Tarzan? He did that, right? Like did the you? one with Phil Collins in it? Yeah. <laughs> you mean the one that Phil Collins is... <laughs> Phil Collins. The one where Phil Collins is, is Tarzan, right? No. You mean when he does the soundtrack? The Phil Collins does the singing with the drums. He's a good drum player. Did you know that? <laughs> Phil Collins should definitely be a country music singer. Phil Collins. Wow. You guys are... I want a narrow. Really Can you tell me? You guys are very off track. Sean, what was this movie about? Oh, boy. Mm. Base? What? I've got it. Oh, do you have a good summary? This oh, movie... Okay. This movie is about... Very unprecedented. Above all else, okay. the evils of technology when placed in the wrong hands. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah, I but mean, like, what happened I guess that's a, that's a moral or like a lesson that's true. in the movie, but like more like a one-sentence plot synopsis pace. That's all I have. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't... I don't understand. Modern man enters not modern Pandora and learns the way of the forest and becomes humbled by it. What is wrong with you two? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the long and short of it is what? They show up in the year, what year did you 2150, say? approximately. The humans show up here. Uh, they encounter this indigenous group of people right. uh, who are basically primitive, uh, at least compared to the technology that the humans have whenever they come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're there for a particular resource. Uh, but basically the, the desires of the humans go directly in conflict with the way of life of the indigenous people. Uh, it's kind of this invader outsider story. Uh, it's basically dances with wolves. It's very similar to the plot of dances with wolves or in some ways Pocahontas, uh, Pocahontas as well. Yes. Uh, and so basically good job, James, it's um, dances with Pocahontas dances with Jake Sully. (laughs) Pocahontas and the Wolves. We're going to have to cut this, too. No, no, that was gold. (laughs) That was beautiful. Okay. And so what essentially happens is that uh, the indigenous people uh, lead a resistance against the humans with help of one of their own. And all hell breaks loose. 
Cool. So we're going to try and cover some science for this movie. There is not a lot in it, but we've been asked to do it. So, uh, knuckle crack, knuckle crack, knuckle crack. You can, Here it goes. You know, Kenan, if you're cracking your knuckles, you knuckle don't have crack. to vi- vocally it, say knuckle crack make any noise, time. though. But they, they just did. I heard the crack. No, I did it. I did it. Yeah, that was pace. Kick us off, Sean. Okay. Just a little uh, a disclaimer. We already did that. No, not that kind of disclaimer. Okay. When we talk about this movie, if you ha- one, if you haven't seen it, which... I'm assuming most people have seen it because it was fairly popular when it came out. You should see it. It is close to three hours long. Block off like a whole afternoon. It's a very long movie. We, because it's so long, we are going to glaze over a lot of the plot points, especially in the second half of the movie, because most of the science is in the first half of the movie. Yep. Sean, why don't you take us away? All right. Uh, Well, we open on a spacecraft. Right. Um... Basically, Jake Sully, the main character in this movie, he is a... Ex-Marine. Ex-Marine. Yep. And you, the movie starts with him coming out of cryosleep. Yep. Okay? And you sort of find out... We'll talk about cryosleep in a minute, just the backstory, how he got on the ship. Essentially, his brother... Who was a scientist. Who was a scientist, was supposed to go on this mission to Pandora... And for reasons that we'll talk about a little bit, they need someone with his exact DNA in order to carry out the scientific objectives that he was sent for. Right. And since Jake is his twin brother and an ex-Marine, they were like, well, why don't you go on the mission since your brother was killed in a mugging? So his brother died, Jake gets sent on this mission, and he wakes up from cryosleep. And it starts with a voiceover, which is honestly the worst way to start a movie, but... He wakes up and he says cryosleep is a little bit like, waking up from cryosleep is a little bit like waking up from being drunk. Like you don't, it doesn't feel like six years, you wake up immediately. And I wanted to address this early on because we got a question from a loyal listener and our uh, real science druid, Bart Hoffman. Yeah, he's a druid. He grows questions from trees. He speaks for the trees. Bart Hoffman says, uh, and, uh, a shepherd of the forest. A shepherd of the forest. In a big email that we'll go through here in a little bit, he had one major question how close are we to cryosleep? And I want to talk about this early on because the answer is, uh, we're not. Yeah, so Kenna, what is cryosleep? So it's this implication that you would be able to put a person in effectively like stasis. Um, for a, an extended period of time and then wake them up uh, and have, although a bunch of time has passed, they have effectively not aged because everything has just been frozen. In an, in an effort of preservation. Right. So cryo, cryo implies cold, right? So mm-hmm. the idea is that you basically freeze a person. Yes. So the reason you can't do this with a lot of tissues is without going through a lot of special things uh, is because that when all of the liquids freeze within our bodies, they immediately cause damage to all of our organs, all of our cells, they cause ruptures, and then thawing that person back out again, you basically end up with a soggy bag of ruined mess. Right, and that's because, like, as humans, and I guess most creatures on Earth, we are, like, water-based, right? Right. And when water freezes, it turns into ice, which expands. And when ice expands and it's a solid, that can really cause a lot of problems inside a cell because... It essentially doubles in size and rips all of the membranes and everything. Mm-hmm. And with uneven freezing, you also get like formation of crystalline structures, which can very easily just poke holes in things. Right. So essentially, if you froze a person, when you unfroze them, they may, you know, the overall body may look similar, but if you look down at the cellular and organ level, everything would just be sheared to pieces and it wouldn't it wouldn't work properly. TLDR, it would kill you. Exactly. Yes. But canon. There have been a couple of efforts where people have tried to do this by taking things like rat livers and rat hearts, pumping them full of cryoprotective chemicals after removing them, 
effectively preserving them and then transplanting them into other rats. And those rats will actually live for a couple of days. So this implies that, like, whatever organs, and in this case it would have been livers and, and hearts, that these organs functioned for at least a little bit. But obviously there was some damage that had been incurred, and so this, you know, this isn't enough. Now that said, there are organisms on planet Earth that actually do freeze and survive the process. Really? Yes. One of those is... Uh, <laughs> we don't have to be a dick about it. I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> just trying to keep the flow going. I'm just tired. <laughs> so there are actually these frogs that are able to do this. Uh, so wood frogs uh, actually go through freestall cycles uh, every winter. Do tell. Oh, man. Right. <laughs> just being a dick now. No, sorry. Can I continue? Oh, please. I'm really, inter- I'm really interested. I'm on the edge of my seat. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Long story short, these, ro- these frogs are actually able to survive the freezing process because they do special things to their organs and to them, their cells during a deep freeze, right? They, they actually have special proteins that float around in their blood that are called nucleating proteins. Wow. Uh, that actually cause the water in the blood of these frogs to freeze first. Wow. So a nucleation is anywhere where you have a concentrated point of something that's starting, so like freezing, uh, formation of salt, things like that, right? So especially with crystalline processes. Or ice. Or ice. Wow. Uh, in doing this, this allows them to suck most of the water out of the frog cells uh, so that when the water freezes, it's within the blood and not within those cells and won't destroy their cells and organs. The other thing they do is they make a crap ton of glucose, which is a type of sugar. How much is a crap ton? Uh, a ladle full. Interesting. One frog full of glucose. Uh, and then they pump these into the cells, and this prevents these cells from completely collapsing and being destroyed once all the water sucked out of them. Okay. And then they reverse this process. So basically it keeps the frogs alive. Yeah, exactly. How long can they be frozen for, Kenan? I do not know the answer to that question. Okay. Uh, but so the idea behind the unfreezing process, is, at least in my understanding, is that the major thing they have to worry about is all of the liquid flooding back to their organs and things like that after unfreezing. So I would assume that it's for an extended period of time that you can do this. Right. Right? Um, I, I'm assuming once you're frozen... You're good. You're fairly good for a while, yeah. right? Because that's the whole point. Yeah, sure. That, your cells, you know, there's minimal movement going on. There's minimal, like, aging. There's minimal reactions happening. Right. You're just kind of sitting there. And if you assume that, like, some of the processes that occur to bodies when they're in a state of... When there's no blood flow, blood flow for instance, right? So, like, when a person goes into a vegetative state, like, if someone dies briefly, right? The danger of bringing somebody back from dying in a hospital is that after a couple of minutes there hasn't been any blood flowing to their brain yeah. right so it incur- you incur a lot of brain damage but once you're frozen a lot of that damage shouldn't be occurring because you're at freezing temperatures yeah right? the cells don't need the same blood supply but the bottom line we're not that close and, and Jake never, not a frog. might never be he's not a frog no. so basically we're not that close <laughs> with getting close to doing this in humans because unless you can change some of the fundamentals of human biology, this is not going to happen. Yeah. Or we just pump people full of sugar. Except for you, Pace, because you're already so sweet. They're actually... I, I know we just talked about this for a bit. I do remember reading... This was a while ago. I read an article where they were talking about... It was some sort of surgical technique that they were going to try in like a trauma center in people where they essentially replace the person's blood with like a cooled saline oh, solution. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you yeah. don't actually freeze them, but you cool down their body temperature to help slow tissue damage to give you like an extended amount of time to do These trauma surgery. super long surgery. Yeah, right? it was like for a surgery that might need like six or eight hours where yeah. the person would just like 
not be able to survive it because they've had some sort right. of traumatic injury. And I think this actually has been done. It's been done. Yeah. yeah. But it's not freezing. You just, I think you cool the body down to like 50 something degrees Fahrenheit yeah. instead of, you know, I, uh, below freezing. <laughs> I was like, I was at 37. I'm like, hold on. Instead of 98.6. But yeah, so it's not freezing, but there is some sort of example in the real world. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. So in the context of this movie, though, the cry of sleep that they have, we just assume is some sort of futuristic thing. It's, it's movie not, magic. It's movie magic. Thanks for the question, Bart the Druid. Bart's Druid. Thanks, Bart. So, after he wakes up from cry of sleep, yes. they arrive at Pandora, yes. right? So Pandora. Pandora. The oh. city of the future. Okay, and this is where you start explaining, they start explaining to the audience, like, what they're doing there. Essentially, they're there to mine unobtain- unobtainium. Yeah, you can't even say it. It's a Unobtainium, which is a fake... I guess compound. It's right. very like dumb. Some sort of metal ore or something that they're getting from the planet. Yeah, there's a scene where uh, the lead scientist, played by Sidroni Reaver, Dr. Grace Augustine, walks up to the business guy and he explains to Grace, I'm sure not for the first time, but doing it for the audience, like, here, look at this. And he grabs this floating rock off of his desk and goes, this is why we're here. This is blah, 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 very expensive. It'll make us a lot of money. And this is why we need you to interact with the natives and convince them to move around so that we can mine for an obtainium. Yep. It's essentially a military operation, mostly. And the scientists, they want to learn more about this new, these new people Mm -hmm. that they've uh, discovered, learn more about the planet. This new biome. Yeah, this new biome. And the military leaders and like the, I don't know, mining company leaders essentially just want the scientists to be like the diplomatic arm of the mission. There's basically like two camps. There's, like you mentioned, the scientists headed by Sir Weaver. There are the military personnel headed by Stephen Lang, um, who plays... Colonel Miles Quaritch. We can just call him Miles, I guess. It's a great name. Uh, and then I just call him Scarface. Scarface. Yeah, he has these rad, like, scar... This dude is touted as the most badass guy who's ever lived for the entire movie. He does a pretty good job, I think. He does. Uh, but both of them are funded by this company who's headed by Giovanni Ribisi. And they're there to mine this stuff, but they're both there to, like... You know, military security, and then the scientists are allowed to be there so that they can study and, like, convince the native people to go away. Because, as Giovanni mentions, it's bad press if they just kill them and take all of their their rocks. And to put it in perspective, there's, like, four scientists and, like, hundreds and thousands, probably thousands of military people there. Yeah, and all of them are assholes. Right. So that's essentially a military operation with four scientists that are just kind of along for the ride. Yep. So at this point, uh, Jake Sully gets off the plane. He meets all of our scientists, right? So we've already talked about how they all interact so that's fine but they take him over to these two giant tanks where they have these super large humanoids growing in there uh which they refer to as avatars so these are the first glimpse that we see of the uh the locals to the planet pandora the navi and they explain like you are going to be basically driving this body around we grew it specifically using navi dna and your dna well not your dna but your brother's dna so you are here to take over what he would have been doing and drive this Navi and gather information, talk to the people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. We should say that whenever they're building these avatars, they they say that they combine, you know, the Navi DNA and the human DNA right. to create these, right? But this is you can equate this back to the problems that you have with creating dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. You know, how do you necessarily do you know in, in Jurassic Park, they're filling the gaps with the frog DNA, yeah. but here, I mean, how do they, you know, how do they select, you know, which genes to pick from which DNA set to combine them to create this sort of, like, 
hybrid and then somehow the hybrid looks like the local people yeah it also um, implies that by putting your genetic material into something you can control it from a distance yeah exactly which is just like that is how they use their the rationale uh, right. to get that to get that to work well and they mentioned in the movie that like you have to be like jake sully was picked because they have the same he has quote the same dna as his brother and they're and they say this in the movie their nervous systems have to be in sync which implies that there's some aspect of the human nervous system in this Navi body, right? But then, like, the nervous system is the thing that they use for the entire movie to communicate with the planet. So that would imply that some part of the human nervous system has to also, for some reason, be compatible. I don't know. It didn't really make it's just sense. A, it's, it, yeah, it's a lot of, like, coming at you real fast things that I, I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it, at that point, it's, the whole Avatar system is hand-wavy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there's, as technology currently exists, there's no precedent for it. Um, right. Or at least nothing, nothing established. Right. And one of the the crucial reasons why they need this avatar system is that the planet is not habitable by humans. So basically, they talk about there's like a reduced gravity and that there's an altered atmosphere conditions that right. are not compatible with like human survival. And we argued about this for a little bit because obviously the first implication when. Whenever we see this in the movie, is that we see people putting on masks like, "Oh, there's not enough oxygen; they're going to die." Well, it cuts to it cuts to Pandora, and it's just nothing but plants. So you can assume that if it follows anything like our ecology, there's at least some oxygen and some carbon dioxide. But then someone else uh, in the room who was super smart brought up the point that maybe there are other things in the air that people can't breathe. Yes, and so I think there is. They don't really talk about this in the movie, but yeah. there could be other compounds like you know. What methane? Like there's there's some established Pandora canon like lore. It's a lore, yeah. Do you want to hit us with Uh, the the chemical composition of the air? This is a segment I like to call Pace Google's Pandora. Pace looks like Pandora. (laughs) I learned I learned a lot. Pace is deep in the blogs, looking at the fan fiction for Pandora here. Pandora, Pandora. I'm a huge (laughs) I'm a huge Pandora. Pandora. I love it. And what I learned is that the atmosphere is a mix of nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide. So far, we're okay. Xenon. Uh-oh. Mm, the warrior princess. That'll... Not exactly the warrior princess. I'm talking about the gas. That'll mix things up a it's little It's a noble bit. gas. You often find it in... Princesses. signs. Oh. Because it's noble? Like nobility? Get out. <laughs> what else is in that air pace? Ammonia, methane, and hydrogen sulfide. Those are not things you want to put in your body in large amounts. Nope. No. Nope. Uh, so it's not necessarily that the necessary components aren't in the atmosphere on Pandora, it's that there are extra uh, there are extra gases yeah. that are not safe for human inhalation. Thank you, Pace, and thank you, Internet nerds. Yeah. So, so this helps a lot that they have this avatar system that they're able to actually like walk around outside and interact with the other uh, Navi people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they do this by entering these uh, robot pods. And through the magic of swirling lights and buttons and LED strings of LEDs, uh, they're able to transfer their consciousness while, I guess, sleeping, basically, uh, into these bodies. Gentlemen, how much sense does that make? Oh, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, sure. but I mean, it's it sure it's cool. pretty essential for the plot of the movie. <laughs> so. it's, it's very important. The, the weirdest thing, though, about this whole transfer of consciousness i guess we'll we'll say it is mm-hmm. what they is the Vulcan mind meld yeah is is that they get into the they get into the the apparatus right the humans do they lay down and basically you have this this led light 
metal structure that goes over their bodies. It's basically Christmas lights. It's Christmas lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, the one thing that it doesn't really make contact with is the the human's head. It doesn't touch any part of them. They're Whereas just... the human, you would you would need you know the full uh, the full arsenal of the human brain to and to control these avatars, right? right? So you'd have to have some sort of interaction between the VR thing they're in and their brain. So, but there isn't. Not yeah. that we can tell. They're just so. in this big shoebox, and then somehow, through the magic, through movie magic, are able to transfer their consciousness into these organisms, and then go hundreds of miles away. Right, yeah. and they're good to go. And there's also like, I mean, if you were able to somehow transplant your entire brain or central nervous system into this body and like link it up to the peripheral nervous system. They have, like, appendages that humans don't even have. Like, they have a tail yeah. that they can move, and we don't even have that. So, like, there's no precedent for the brain even being able to control that. Not only that, but Jake gets into this thing, and uh, Sigourney Reaver says, how much time have you logged doing this? And he's like, oh, zero hours. And then the man gets off a table and then runs outside and, like, catches a fruit, right? Yeah, like, like and, and the guy can't walk. Like, so, I mean, he... He just does it immediately. Oh, yeah. We didn't actually say that. Jake's oh, yeah. Jake's legs don't work. He's, he's a uh, paraplegic. Yes. Yeah. So he, he was, was injured in combat. Yeah, he was right. injured in combat. So he's in a wheelchair in his human body. When he's in his avatar body, obviously, he can control the entire, entire thing. So it's a great experience for him because he's, you know, got the sensation of walking, standing mm-hmm. up, running around. Which he exercises fully after first entry in the Navi. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But... Uh, yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he apparently does. there's no learning curve. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, but I guess the, the the most like realistic example would be like controlling a robot with like radio waves or something like that. Like you could just sure. have a control pad and you're controlling some sort of device. But the or thing you, is, well, I was, I was just gonna say you can also like place electrodes on yeah, sure. the surface of human skin, right? And then like basically train with responses in you know for mechanical things and translate those to specific movements like you could control the robot arm with electrical impulses. yeah i mean th- there are neuroprosthetic limbs that yeah. where that is currently technology that is being perfected but you know those have limitations that aren't even in the the scope of what happens in the in the film. Never mind that they're physically connected. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. You basically, they introduce that, you know, Jake controls his avatar and they're going to go out on a science mission, but before that happens, he meets with Miles, the head, you know, military colonel or whoever's in charge. Played by Stephen Lang. Played by Stephen Lang. And he essentially asks Jake to report to him as well and tell him any critical tactical information he can learn about the Na'vi because uh, he's essentially planning that after this three-month window um, for them to attempt to do sort of like diplomatic tasks or talking with the Na'vi that they're going to give him an ultimatum and just go in and sort of take whatever they need. They're going to show up and they're going to harvest all the unobtainium that's under the Na'vi's house. Yeah, basically. Exactly. Um, and Jake agrees to this because at the time, those, that's where his priorities were. Yeah, like, he, he was he was like very much on the, in this camp of it at this point. So, yeah. Uh, Stephen Lang also calls scientists limp dick science majors. Yeah, um, which was... Uh, I kind of hurt a little bit, actually. Hurt. Yeah, kind of hurt a little bit. I don't... I mean... Wasn't cool. Don't really... That's sort of a sexist terminology in the first place. Yeah, but, for starters. Know, so, thanks... Stephen Lang. Thanks, Stephen Lang. I don't, I don't relate to it. I'm not really sure what he's talking about. No Nintendo. Great pace. Thanks. Good to hear about cool. your wing wong. So after this, uh, Sigourney Weaver uh, and 
The one that showed up at Jake Sully. Sean, what was his name? You made you up a name. Norman Rockwell. What did I call him? I called him... Normal Rockwell. I think I called him Norm... Norm Norm Pants. <laughs> He's played by Joel David Moore. I don't remember what his name is. His name's Norm. Norm and Sigourney Weaver and... Is he? Jake Sully. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Look at that face. He's just got a beard on here, so he looks way oh. better... Yeah, sorry, we're looking at the picture of uh, Joel online, and he looks like a real hunk now. Anyway, they go on their first mission. Uh, Sigourney Weaver jacks into a tree uh, with Joel, and they start commenting on, and this is where the movie first introduced this idea that, like, all these things are connected by electrical impulses. Uh, so it shows us this, like, brief snapshot, basically, of, like, electricity running through these tree roots and all the roots connected to each other and they're all communicating and all this other stuff. So It's very cool. Yeah, like, and they call it a nervous system, basically. Yeah. So, like, this planet has a nervous system. Right. Yeah. This is sort of what every movie does when they're talking about connecting things because your nervous system, you know, essentially uses electrical signals to communicate with other neurons, but the, but it's, like, in a biological context. It's not, like, a... It's not like a, like a metal wire where you get flow of electrons moving from one into the other you essentially get the flow of ions in an aqueous in a water-based solution from one end of the neuron to the other and that creates an electrical that's very that's very good sean yeah right what are ions they are charged molecules that are water soluble thanks dude so that's what make sure we got that out there yeah no that's a good point so but so that's basically how your nervous system works right is you're sending electrical pulses but it's using molecules that are found in an or in an organic being so when they look at the tree and they say like, oh, they're using electrical signaling, really it's electrochemical signaling, but... It's not overly it's far-fetched not, it's not for too something far-fetched. like this to evolve. It's yeah. not, no. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's still biological in nature. I mean, it's not, we're not, we're not trying to recreate the human brain on a computer chip or something, you right. know? I think that given the right conditions, it's definitely plausible for this to be happening. Right. Like, I, I don't know about plants on Earth and they're like, I don't think they have a nervous system per se, but I don't think it's infeasible for them to communicate with other cells or potentially other plants through some sort of like neural, quote, neural network. Neural network. Quote unquote yeah. neural network. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Okay. I would agree. So after this uh, movie revelation, uh, we get the scene where Jake Sully is confronted by a giant rhino-type animal that <laughs> smashes trees and doesn't make sense for the rhino to be there, but we'll talk about it later. Uh, and then they have a face-off. He, like, yells at it, and it runs away. Classic movie moment where he's like, yeah, you better run, and there's a bigger monster behind him. Yeah, and so that thing starts chasing him. He runs to the woods, and he gets lost after falling or jumping off of a uh, waterfall. Uh, so now he's lost in the woods, and the rest of our intrepid heroes have gone home. Because they can't find him. Exactly. And they can't do night missions. Yep, they can't do... They're not allowed to do night missions. No. Nope. Not enough resources. I think... Uh, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, no. Please, Pace. Well. Hit me. I was just going to say... Yes? Now that we've encountered some of the local animals, mm-hmm. it would be a good time to talk about the, the plants and the animals on the planet and what we think about that. And if uh, these types of organisms are reasonable in the scope of traveling to a moon... In a nearby solar system. Sure. I mean, I think the first thing that jumps to my mind is the fact that these giant hammerhead rhinoceros creatures wouldn't be in the middle of what's effectively the Amazon. 
True. Why is that gonna? Well, for starters, it had to like smash trees out of the way just to get through a thick forest. So <laughs> uh, that, for me, didn't make any sense for that to be at all evolutionarily advantageous for it to live where it does. Well, that's why it has hammerheads. You're right. Karen. You're right, nah, Sean. I, <laughs> I guess I'm an idiot. The, the, that animal in that environment would not be sneaky. It would make a lot of noise. Right. It wouldn't actually be. It wouldn't be very efficient. Well, and as um, you mentioned while we were watching it, there's a reason why rhinoceroses. Rhinoceri? Rhinoceroses. Rhinoceri. Rhino boys. Rhinoceri. Rhinoceri. Yep. As a reason why they don't live in the woods. You could just say rhinos. Rhino boys. Oh, what a, or rhino, rhino boys. I would say, <laughs> like, my, my main takeaway from the the similarity to of the of the life on Pandora to life on Earth, because you had, like, the pterodactyl-looking uh, flying creatures. Right. Right? You had the... We haven't gotten to those yet, but we do have them. Right. Uh, you had the rhinoceri. You had the panther looking creature you had the horse looking creature and you know like these are will look familiar to the audience and to people and to us Mm -hmm. because we are familiar with these types of creatures on on earth sure right but you know i don't really think that it would be likely to occur in an adjacent solar system for creatures that look so similar to things we see on earth to to evolve i get that uh you know conversion evolution is a thing, and that could lead to this. And by convergent evolution, I mean the idea that similar types of traits or features would evolve because they are useful. Mm-hmm. Like, like for example, you know, both birds and bats have wings, right? Right. But like a bat's wing is like the, first off, a bat is a mammal, and a bird's not. Uh, but you know, the bat's wings are just an extension of like the skin on their on their forelimbs, whereas right. the birds you have you have feathers, and it's it's different anatomically, right? Right. But they're still wings because their convergent evolution. The birds and the bat aren't related very closely, but wings were useful. Uh, so you're saying like another good example from the movie is that at one point they show us these. Uh, primate-looking organisms, and they have long arms they use to swing through trees. Exactly. So, like, this would be an example of convergent evolution on one, a completely different side of the solar system or a completely different side of the universe, right? Because it is a useful mechanism for moving right. through an environment. Right. That, that being said, I'm saying that, that can definitely occur to a certain extent, mm-hmm. given that also Pandora appears to be a semi-Earth-like planet, you know, planet yeah. moon, whatever you want to say. I still think it's unlikely that you would have such similar creatures... Uh, especially given the different atmospheric conditions as well. So we're calling you out, James Cameron, for not being very inventive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was that. You hit it, heard it here. Pace said it himself. James Cameron officially on blast. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that that was my main complaint. But but I think that that can be overlooked because James Cameron has created a, a world and a biosphere that is breathtakingly beautiful and colorful and creative, which, I mean, made it incredibly entertaining. Yeah, and this movie actually, like, the graphics in this movie really held up for something that's 10 years old. Yeah, actually, it looked a lot worse than they did. Kind of surprising. And we get a glimpse of those graphics when a boy, Jake Sully, uh, who is now lost in the woods, has to fight off a bunch of dog monsters um, who are trying to eat him, and a Navi saves him uh, because he, she, what, what was her? What's her name? Uh, she's actually played by, um, Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana, which is fucking awesome. But her name was Neytiri. Your friend Neytiri. Neytiri. Your neighbor. Neighbor Tiri. So Neytiri saves him because, uh, he quote, has a strong heart. And she witnesses, like, a sign from Pandora in the form of these floating glowy squids that, uh, land all over his body. Which she says are the seeds of the mother tree. 
Yeah, and the mother tree is supposed to be this biological focal point yeah, for this nexus. uh yeah this kind of nexus for for their the navi their people their their ancestors uh and and also their well they kind of view as a deity in in this kind of this one region this tree she saves him and it normally she wouldn't because they're essentially at war right it's like an ongoing war between the navi and the humans because the humans are trying to ravage their homeland right when she takes him back to the uh the like main home or the home tree i guess which is where yeah all they, the they call it the home tree the home tree <laughs> they're not super thrilled to see him either uh yeah they try they're debating on killing him yep and he tells them he's a warrior and they essentially go like we've never seen a human warrior before yeah so we'll give you a chance and like teach you because it didn't work with the other humans and just to call james cameron out again uh there's a tribesman who doesn't like jake uh who is betrothed to natiri uh he's basically kokum uh <laughs> and then there's a chief who we're just going to call chief Politan. it's just really a coincidence that they're both chiefs but i think it's easier to make fun of the fact that this is definitely just pocahontas if we call him chief Politan. so and it's a very colorful world too. So, like, if they broke into Colors of the Wind, I wouldn't be that. It surprised. would actually have probably made more sense <laughs> in the context of this movie than it did in Pocahontas. True. <laughs> Listen, okay, never mind. I'm not going to start quoting Pocahontas. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. So basically, uh, her the Navi girl Natiri who saves him. Her dad is the chieftain. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and her mom, who speaks for the trees, is like the village elder. Basically, she's this like bad stereotype of a jungle mystic who like is in tune with the world and she goes like you said we've never had a warrior before you will teach him our ways and then the two goes mom uh and then it cuts back to jake reporting to the marines and he's explaining that you know this is the home tree i've been there this is what it looks like this is the infrastructure miles is going "Uh uh-huh uh-huh okay we can blow this up and blow this up jake is seen doing this by one of the scientists so they then pack up shop and they move him to these giant floating mountains that they call the Hallelujah Mountains uh, in order to do work here as their base of operations so that he can't be in contact with the military anymore. And they mention as they're flying through these mountains that they, well, they're floating for starters. Yeah, so there are these giant floating rock structures that are, yeah. you know, mountainous in size that are just floating above the ground. And that's why they call them the Hallelujah Mountains, I guess. And, right, as Ken was going to say, as they're flying through... They mentioned that there's a bunch of issues with all of their detection devices in their plane or their helicopter. So they say that there's variable flux in the area. Yeah, <laughs> I don't the flux center. Or yeah, whatever they, they keep they saying, it. "Oh, it's the flux. The flux is messing up the sensors." I don't know what the flux is. Yeah, but what, what the flux? What the? <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I mean, and like they show all these pictures of. Um, what you always see, electromagnetic fields looking like, right? Like, surrounding this area. And we already know that unobtainium... God, I fucking hate that word. Uh, unobtainium... <laughs> it's very like, bad. ...in some way contributes to anti-gravity. So you could sort of, if we're trying to hand away for the movie here, we could say that, like, unobtainium is involved in using electromagnetic fields in order to simulate anti-gravity, in order to have, like, floating. There maybe it lies the reason why everything's floating here and why there's, you know, everything's getting messed up. Because, like, a lot of our electrical equipment that we use for scanning and things like that could be messed up by electromagnetic fields. That's fully plausible. Yeah, of course, especially a variable electromagnetic field. Sure. But if you also had a variable electromagnetic field, you would think that would affect the floating rock structures, too. Sure. But... You know, we shouldn't get too much into that. It, oh, because it is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> if floating mountains were filled with unobtainium, uh-huh. 
why didn't the humans just get it from there? That was a really good point, Pace, that you brought up. Why blow up the home tree when Whenever. there's so much more just floating? It's in just there? floating. It's just there. You well, can just take it. There's an easy reason. Why? The military guy hates the Navi. He does. He does hate the Navi. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of an arse. Yeah, he just really wants to kill people, I think. He's pretty uh, pretty brutal. So either way, they tell Jake Sully that he can hang out with them. He can sit with them. Uh, then uh, Neytiri... That was a Mean Girls reference. Don't look at me like that. Uh, Neytiri that takes him along and shows him a bunch of things. She first shows him how to use his weird, gross hair tail noodles uh, in order to connect with the organisms of the planet. Let's talk about love. I do want to briefly discuss love and mating with birds, if that's all right with you, Sean. I really hope the people have seen the movie, because he really jumped in. That was a great segue into love and bird mating. So the Navi have long braided hair, and they have these little Noodly. tendril noodle things on yeah. the end. and Flagella. All, uh, essentially, all of the animals in the world that they interact with seem to also have these sort of like hair appendage appendage things and they can link together and communicate via their thoughts with these animals and sort of like control animals or influence their behavior they can go into drift the animals basically it it kind of they, they made it seem like not necessarily not necessarily like a shared like consciousness but like a shared like autonomic experience. like experience like just a shared like like physical presence right 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 like they, they sort of make it it's not or like vibing like it's not like you plug in the hair follicles or whatever and then, <laughs> and then you can just control the other being like it's a sort of like robot or something like there's obviously some sort of they talk in the movie like oh they have to choose you and like you they have to let you do it like there's sort of like a I don't know some sort of mutual exchange between the connection yeah it's explained to Jake Sully that like every Navi hunter has to go through this ritual where they basically track down and they fight a bat lizard and best it and then use their hair hair tails to like merge with it and then that bat lizard is their best friend for life it's it's very hippie I mean it's kind of it's kind of Avatar-ish, you know? Like, Last Airbender Avatar. It's Stop. like he's picked his bison, you know? Stop. That's what they do. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's like All the right. same thing. It's All even right. got the same movie title. <laughs> All right. They essentially bond with this creature, and yeah. they can fly with it. Yeah. But they, they also use this bond to bond with other animals. Like, they're yeah. horse-like right. beings. They're Essentially, they can, they can bond with the tree that they live in. They can bond it with nature. They so use it to like to jack into the mainframe of Pandora. Yeah, they basically like. it's like they're in the Matrix. Well, and <laughs> real just real quick, playing on that idea, just kind of the fact that everything is kind of seems to be connected, interconnected man. on this planet. There is, I think, this is of good relevance to a hypothesis known as the Gaia hypothesis. Oh, um, oh, that sounds very scientific. It's based. not. It's not exactly scientific, but I think it's. Is important in, in regards to the film. Why is it the Gaia hypothesis? Can it be the Gorilla hypothesis? Um, oh, hey Whoa, write that one down. Hot takes. Tip your cakes. waitresses. And your waiters. He'll be here all night. No, just the waitresses. It's, it's, uh, it's. <laughs> Men G- don't deserve money. Yeah. It's G A I A, not G U Y A. Oh, oh God. That makes sense. Um, the Guy Fieri hypothesis. But, uh,. <laughs> Uh, definitely not the guy Pierre. Tell me what it is, Pace. I'm dying. <laughs> if you would stop interrupting me, I would I'm almost out of beer. Frack and tell you. Uh, basically, Fly, flux and tell you, Kevin. <laughs> this hypothesis basically states that uh, a planet, or rather, the, like a biosphere, 
uh, is linked in a way that is necessary for the continuance of all life on this planet. And basically likens a planet to like a vast self-regulating organism. Like a, a big living organism. Like a huge living organism in which, yes, you have these separate entities, but they're all linked. Uh, I don't want to say necessarily like uh, like spiritually, but they have a connection, uh, most pr- predominantly biological, uh, that they all depend on. So that sounds exactly like what we're dealing with here. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that also, like, there are parallels to the world that we live in where there are lots of animals and species that, you know, if you wipe out one species, it definitely affects more than just that species. And that actually brings up a good point, too, because there is a question of, like, all of these... So the Navi have the hair tails, and they use them to interact with the organisms, right? All of the other organisms that have these things, that would imply that the Navi and those organisms all co-evolved with one another and were using these hair tail things and the hair tail system somehow benefits all of the organisms on the planet to have as well, right? Which is super weird, man. It's right. it's super weird. So it's either so so I mean there must be some advantage to this bond that yeah. all of the different organisms are sort of connected by. Right. And, like, I guess that's possible, but it, it sort of implies that they all co-evolved as one giant kind of organism. System. Yeah. One giant I would, system. I would say this movie even if, even fulfills the guy hypothesis yeah. in a pretty strong way. It also would make sense, I guess, for the organisms to use their hair, their hair tail. God, I hate using this phrase. Their, their hair, hair, t- hair tails to also, like, jack into the mainframe to some degree. Yeah, well, they, they, they plug in their... They're, they're USB. And they go, I'm in. Yeah. And they, bip, 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 bip. they download. They download. They go, I know Kung Fu. And they go, I'm going to alter the results of the election. And they go, um, Morpheus and Neo are fighting. And then everybody runs in and watches. Yeah. And they're watches. like, whoa. And, they, and then he goes, did you see the Navi in the red dress? I did that. <laughs> what did you think of her? <laughs> Can we keep going? Oh, God. <laughs> How many more Matrix references can we cram into this episode? I can't think of anything else. Something else I think it's worth mentioning about this this connection that the Navi have with not only each other, but with the planet, right? This And with their ancestors. This is a, also a way of just, like, sharing information, right? Yeah. You might be able to say. And therefore, I think it's crazy that the Navi are as technologically primitive as they are compared to humans. Because what was the one thing... That allowed humans to evolve so rapidly. It's answer. What's to, the answer? To the question. <laughs> this question. I thought you were going to bunny. The answer. Fire. <laughs> well, fire was important, but Brains. I would say what led this to happen was basically the exchange of information and be able to store information outside of your own. Uh, I don't know. We'll call it just outside of your own brain. Sure. Right. And so the, I just find it, it's, it's shocking to me that the Navi weren't able to just use this consistent source of communication uh, with seemingly an entire planetary system, like their whole planet system to advance more technologically. Pace. Yes. Now, you're thinking like early movie Jake Sully right now, though, <laughs> right? Now, you got to think more like late movie Jake Sully. Yes. Because they're able to exchange all this information with one another. They don't have to advance their civilization. Because I they understand. Got everything they Gaia is there for... Sorry, Pandora is there for them. <laughs> I do... Yes, I think you're right, Kenan, in this very melodramatic view of the movie. It, that is true. <laughs> I'm surprised that they have, like, a vocal language and look so humanoid. Like, they yeah. have... Most of That's the time, really they just communicate through, like... 
uh, speech right. or like sight or whatever. That mostly speech. They they talk like humans. They speak like humans. They have a language that's yeah. their own, and they sort of say things that are obviously translatable to English. Well, I mean, but they have this way of like plugging into each other and having yeah. this like intense communication experience. But well, you could make an argument that this is like early in the evolutionary scale, like on the evolutionary scale of this planet, right? That like. The planet already has this thing going, yeah. and that the organisms there are sort of at this moment like an appendage. They're 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 um they're like an addendum to whatever's happening on the planet. You know what I mean? I, I could I could I can see that. I'm just kind of posing this idea forward that like sure. I don't know if I buy into the whole. They basically have high speed internet and shoot people with bows and arrows. Right. Yeah. And I'm not buy I don't buy into the whole noble and enlightened yet incredibly primitive society. I think that's. While not implausible, seems rare to me. Now, Pace, for someone who exclusively plays a druid on World of Warcraft, I am surprised to hear you say uh, that. I suppose, yeah, that's true. That's, that, that, that's, I'm, okay, I... We're talking about Warcraft again, and Sean's making a face. We What's should, World of Warcraft? I would, yeah, here we go. I would love to live in this world, and the, it culturally, it fits perfectly with the things that I value. I'm saying from an objective standpoint, and given what we know of how humans have evolved, it seems weird. Does I'll that make sense? That. I'll agree with that. Okay. So, at this point in the movie... We've got Jake. He's hanging out with his friends in the woods. Yes. Uh, base. Oh, man, we should just sum up this whole bit. So basically, Jake is becoming more into the idea of being in his Navi body. Yep. Uh, he's learning a lot about the people and that they don't need all of these technological advancements and that there's no way that they're going to want to pack up and leave town for, you know, a people that don't respect the planet. Yep. Um, they The people believe that there is this energy that runs through everything. We kind of already talked about this, and that all energy is borrowed. It must be returned someday to the Mother Tree and all that good stuff. Uh, I do want to briefly say that there is a scene in this movie that's the most important scene in this entire movie, and that's Sigourney Weaver's use of a pipetter uh, about, like, an hour and a half, maybe two hours into the movie. Okay. Uh, Can you explain this to me more? Because I really didn't okay. see you didn't the point. You didn't see it? No. So we I use, saw her using it, but... Oh. Let, me, let me bring the audience up to speed. So we use these things called pipetters in laboratory settings, right? Especially when we're doing bench work with, you know, molecular work. Uh, where there are these basically these plunger-driven things that allow us to suck up liquid into them in very specific amounts and then pipette them or eject them back out into another substance, right? Mm-hmm. It, it allows us to mix things and move things and things like that in very precise measurements. They're extremely delicate, and you cannot get liquid in them because they will ruin the internal makeup of these pipetters. Right. right? They're essentially like calibrates that there's a vacuum that sucks up the liquid and if you put a bunch of water in there it's gonna it's totally it, it messes, messes up the it, and not only that but like you can get contamination because you put one thing in bacteria it and bacteria grows in it exactly and right Sigourney Weaver takes one of these uh, and while Jake Sully's recording I guess his like video diaries and Sigourney <laughs> Weaver is behind him and she pipettes up like a mill or more like a lot of liquid into a pipetter, which, by the way, are extremely expensive. She then inverts it and holds it above her head with just the tip pointing at the sky so all the liquid can run down into the inner workings, looks into a microscope, nods, and then points it down into whatever she's looking at and ejects it back in again. Which, like, as far as sort of just, you know, the movie goes, it has absolutely zero impact on it. But when we saw it, we were like, oh my god. Yeah, it's just... (laughs) It's just funny, like, they basically handed her science equipment, and we're like, just, you know... Fuck it up. Look science Yeah. <laughs> and, and she was like, I can do that. Yeah. And, but... I mean, she held it 
kind of correctly. She held it correctly, yeah. I don't know, it looked a little weird to me, but... Either way, she absolutely destroyed the piece of equipment and it hurt my heart. To be fair, you don't know that. Because you don't know the types of pipetting technologies that exist in the year 2149. Hey, she got me. That's a good point. You fucking got him. Yeah. You got him, Kenan. We probably apologize to Sigourney Weaver right now. Sigourney Weaver, I'm so sorry. James Cameron, I'm so sorry. Uh, Future pipette of America, I'm so sorry. (laughs) The FPAA, the the Future Pipettes of America Association. Absolutely. So, uh, Jake Sully has uh, hung out with his friends long enough to where he can tame a bat lizard. He tames a bat bat lizard. He fights it. Is able to jump on it. And he's like, hey, look at me. I'm one of you now. Uh, And they basically make him one of the people. He goes on a date with Nevridi. Um, Is that her name? (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know her name. He goes on a date with Nestle. uh, And they jack into the mainframe tree. They hear a bunch of dead people. And she goes, these are the souls of our ancestors. Everything's connected. Uh, then Jake single-handedly ruins the entire plot of the film by mating with Neytiri, even though she is betrothed to somebody else. Uh, and then he wakes up, and the military has arrived, and they're destroying the, the destroying the forest, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Like, what? Sorry, let me take it again. Okay. All hell breaks loose. Yeah, so essentially, there are about, there's about an hour and a half of movie left after this, which we're going to probably we were sum up. very in, surprised at. Yeah, we're going to sum up in about five minutes. Um, yeah, 100%. Because from this point on, there is really no more science. It's just the struggle of trying to deal with the military incursion yeah. into the Navi territory. The military blows up the home tree, led by Big Dog Miles. Uh, Jake Sully is told uh, he admits to being there to gather information says I'm sorry but I've learned so much blah 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 uh, Neytiri says I don't want you anymore go away it's better this way tries to get him to leave um, they try and make a stand they're upstaged by the military because bullets and fire the military leaves and says alright we've done our job let's go in and we start harvesting the Navi then led by Jake who comes back and says oh look at me I wrangled a giant flying dinosaur I am your chosen one uh, let's go fight the military they all gather together and get a bunch of clans and go off and say alright we're gonna wipe the military off the face of the planet there is one part I did want to bring up in the middle of this Yeah. so when the military blows up the home tree Jake is in the avatar body yeah. right? and the avatar is near this home tree and essentially, in the movie, if you, like, unplug someone from their avatar body, yeah. the body just collapses, right? Yeah. You break the connection. You don't, like... It's not like the Matrix where it's... It's not like where if you die... You, you don't die in the game and then die yeah, in real life. It, yeah. Right. <laughs> so you can essentially, if your avatar body's killed, you sort of probably perceive the pain, but you don't actually die. You come out of the... You, you break the connection out. and you get out and you're good to go. Um, so his avatar body is here when this tree is getting blown up and the military disconnects him from his avatar body and the body's just laying by the tree. And the next time you come back to it, it's probably like what, at least a day later. Like he's, the military puts him in a jail cell and his like group of friends like bust him out and they go to sort of like help save the Navi and mount an offensive. And he finally gets back in the avatar body and his body's just been laying in the forest for like... Over a day, yeah, just yeah. covered in ash. Just sort of assuming that there aren't any like scavenger beasts right. in the woods, and they don't. Or... <laughs> and because like his body and the avatar body are biological in nature, they don't really discuss the nutrient consumption that's required. To up- I was going to say up- that. Keep these bodies. You don't see him eat. 
So, well, and, like, they, they make a good point where while he's in his human body, Sigourney Weaver's like, before you go in, like, eat your breakfast, you haven't showered, you haven't eaten, like, you haven't taken care of yourself, yeah. and you still have a human body that you're, like, you still need to be alive, right? So they're really focused on that, but the Avatar body is also a biological body, and you... It's been just been lying in the woods. Yeah, it's sort of assumed that when he's with the Na'vi, he's participating with them in their day-to-day thing. You don't see him eat, you don't see him You don't see him eat... <laughs> that that link between the human and the and the avatar is confusing meta, like metabolically right because you are simultaneously experiencing and living in the two bodies because even whenever you're in the avatar your human body is still you know it's alive and it's consuming energy mm-hmm. but so is your avatar so you have less time to consume the nutrients for two bodies, right? Yeah. yeah. Throughout this entire process. Yeah, you would be like eating six times a day. It's super <laughs> nitpicky, but... And can Sean, can you imagine what that would do to your taste perception? Oh, man. Well, I, it's uh, honestly... Okay, I didn't want to get too into this, but since I do work on taste, I am going to bring this up. Yeah. When you taste something, yep. there's some there's this phase of digestion called the cephalic phase of digestion. Oh, here we go. Got him turned on. No, but, but it means like, so when you when you think about food, right, what happens when you think about that juicy Taco Bell Crunchwrap Supreme that you're going to eat, right, Michael? My stomach Vance? turns and knots. <laughs> or about something that you really like to eat. When, you th- when you're hungry and you Salty. see food, you start salivating. There's like a bunch of biological processes that begin just from the thought right. of eating. Let alone the taste of eating actually evokes release of different hormones in your gut. There's a lot of different things that can happen. And obviously when he's in the Navi body, we see this in the beginning. He eats a fruit and it tastes good, right? That is going to have repercussions with his human body because his brain is perceiving these sensory inputs Ah, and his human body is laying in there. It doesn't mean that it's going to be like awful and it's going to kill him or something, but there are going to be metabolic changes in his human stasis body that are influenced by experiences he has as the Navi. So while his Navi body may be still functioning normally metabolically, his human Jake Sully body might just be all out of whack from basically consuming six meals. Yeah. Anyways, they don't really touch on this in the movie, but it is important to know they do have to eat. We yeah. got a little taste in there. Yeah, got a little taste. So anyways, he his body comes out of the ashes, and yeah. it's totally unscathed and perfectly fine. Yeah. So, like Kenna was saying, he wrangles a dinosaur... <laughs> gathers the clans of Navi that are scattered across Pandora to yep. unite against the incoming conqueror of the Sky Skymen or whatever the sky they people. call them. They call them yeah. the Sky People. The, human. <laughs> the, humans. the humans. The humans. Which like they could have just like taught them the word humans, I guess. It's but. also funny they call them sky people because they fly on dinosaurs. Yeah, they're the ones in they're the, the ones sky. In the sky. I, I yeah. mean, like, humans have helicopters, but they're both in the sky. Maybe okay. because the humans oh, came, came from another planet. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. That's yeah, 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 came yeah, from yeah. the sky. For, Thanks for keeping us grounded, Pace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So either uh, either way, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's a little burp. Uh, a little burp. Jake Sully rallies the troops. Uh, there's a giant battle. The planet rises up and helps them out at the last minute. Destroys the entire military force except for Miles, who jumps into a, a robot and fights Jake Sully hand to hand. Jake Sully's new girlfriend kills him by shooting him in the chest with arrows, uh, and then Jake Sully saves the day and wins and becomes an Avatar forever. Yeah, and, and then he looks at the the rest of the. They basically he stays with the Avatar. They make the people leave, and as they're leaving, he says, "You think the only people who are people are people that look and think like you?" And then he makes them leave. Yep. And then, <laughs> and then he tells her to go away. And then they start singing Colors of the Wind. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kumbaya, where they all hold hands. Yeah. And then roll credits. That's it. 
Sean, do you want to do the honors? Wait, 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 wait. Can I do one bit? Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. I want to post. I want to post something to you. Okay. So like. I promise this is going somewhere. All okay. right. So like, that's how all good bits start. So like, yeah. Earth, like Earth is used to like the sun, like the the wavelength of light that comes from the sun. The right? planet Earth is definitely used to being around the sun. Yes, and we also have like a particular atmosphere that keeps a large amount of UV light and infrared light out. Yes. Right. So therefore, humans have evolved to see those wavelengths, like yes. Roy G. Bibb, red, orange, yellow, blue, etc. So supposedly, given the state of Pandora's atmosphere. With the Alpha Centauri sun, I think it's been proposed in some of the the we'll call it like the fan fiction or the the wiki fiction. On fan north, God, way too deep. Supposedly, there is much much less uh, ozone in Pandora's atmosphere, which okay. blocks a lot of the UV light. So it's more like 2017, 2018. Who, who proposed this? Absolutely, don't worry about it. Doctor Chlorofluorocarbon Earth. Yep. Right XX Weed Lord Vegeta Pandora fan for <laughs> 69. 69. So, given that there's more UV light coming into Pandora, okay, you could then say a lot of the organisms um, would have evolved to be able to see UV light. I know where you're. What color on the color spectrum is UV light, Kenan? Blue. It's next to blue. Yeah. What What was the color of a lot of the stuff in this movie, Kenan? Blue. It was a lot of blue, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why, you know, there's just a lot of things that to humans would look blue, but for the Navi, maybe they see things in a totally different way because their eyesight evolved to just view different wavelengths of light that humans just can't see. Well, like it's also... Bugs. It's also like, would UV light look blue? It would look UV. It would look UV, but I'm saying it's closest to the color spectrum on blue, And but to, to the Navi, who, who knows it would look like? Counterpoint. Right. Everything's blue because it looks cooler. I think Sean wins this one. <laughs> I, what I'm trying to do, guys, is just reemphasize. <laughs> I'm trying to emphasize the limitations of human beings. Now, we can only see this like little sliver of the visible mm-hmm. like wavelength of the of the of the electromagnetic spectrum yeah and it's so <laughs> sad isn't it yeah i mean we really do only it's really sad. a few wavelengths of the electromagnetic spectrum wouldn't it be really funny if all the navi were colorblind sure kevin <laughs> sean i think it's time we rate this bitch <laughs> michael christopher pace dr uv himself why don't you kick us off they call me Dr. UV. How is it? Dr. Boys. UV. Um, <laughs> so, what they call. if we're first going Dr. to talk UV. about the science of the film, what um, I'm going to give the science in the film a four out of five. Wow. <laughs> yes. I am shocked. I am appalled. Because, here's why. I'm embarrassed to know you, sir. Um... Here's one thing I like that they did. Okay. They picked the Alpha Centauri A solar system. This makes sense. Okay. It's the closest solar system. Yes. Uh, humans selected an Earth-like planet within this solar system. It's probably where we would reach first once we were able to travel, you know, for that for that long. Isn't there thought to be an actual Earth-like planet in the Alpha Centauri solar system? Already? I'm not sure. How far is Alpha Centauri? It's th- uh, th- almost four light years. Four light years. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, this is Only all based. Four years on, away. This is all light years, Kevin. <laughs> this is all based on the premise that you're traveling very quickly. I know, and given certain technologies that exist in the future, but I'm saying it is the closest solar system to our own. If yes, we're going to go yes. anywhere to find, if we're going to go to another solar system, that's the first one we go to. Exactly. Yeah. That's accurate. Two years ago, yes, there was a Earth-sized exoplanet that is in the habitable zone 
of Proxima Centauri. There you go. So yes, there um, could potentially exist life at Alpha Centauri. Yep. So Continue, sorry. that was, uh, you know, that took a little bit of background research, right? I would say in in general, um, a lot of it is is remedied by the aesthetic of the film and how it's beautiful. But I really loved the depiction of this this brand new uh biosphere that james cameron made i thought it was uh very creative and i liked the amount of detail that he put into it i know it's not exactly you know perfectly scientific um no it was rich but i mean it, it was very rich good. um be a good place to play dnd it'd be a great place to play dnd <laughs> um in regards to entertainment factor i'm also going to give it a four out of five right nice. i i know that it was it played on a lot of the similar plots as other movies like Pocahontas and Dances Dance with, with Wolves. But I really think that, again, it's, it's, it's redeeming factor is the computer generated aspects of the film. It was beautiful and entertaining. Uh, whenever I first, oh gosh, whenever I first saw this film, I actually didn't even think about it in the terms of like, uh, like global warming slash environmentalism, which I think he was, James Cameron was trying to draw out of the crowd. Uh, and kind of watching it again also made me think about the movie and a lot of new different themes that I didn't think about it the first time. So Sweet. Sean Michael Crossan. Okay. Yes. I, so the scientific rating for this movie is a little difficult, mainly because the out of the bulk of the movie, there's really not that much science. Like a lot of, the whole second half of the movie is all about the plot and the storyline. That makes sense. So... I'm going to go and give it, I guess I'll give it a 3 out of 5. And the only reason I'm not giving it a 2 out of 5 is because a lot of the themes are so futuristic. I think we can really suspend the connection to like current scientific advancements from them. Like the whole concept of the Avatar is not explained at all in the movie. And I think that's okay because you really can't do the movie without the Avatar concept. I mean, that's what made it hard to rate scientifically is because the majority of the science, I would say, is based upon anticipated science advancements. I think it's so science fiction that it's perceivably, like, unachievable from the current level that we're at. The current information we have, which I think is totally fine because it's entertaining. It's just So that's why I'm giving it a 3 out of 5. The pipetter just really... Really knocked it down a notch yeah, for me. 100%. I thought we, I thought we debunked, uh, we, uh, we covered that. No, 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 no that was that was BS. Uh, yeah. My petters ruined. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna give it a three out of five. Like I said, I think the science was sort of like hand wavy, um, but it was all very futuristic and really hard to like pinpoint exactly, you know, what's going on. What about the entertainment? Entertainment. Value? I'm gonna give it a four out of five. I enjoyed the movie. I think like. The best part about this movie, the plot, again, is kind of recycled from other movies, but the best part about this movie is definitely the animation and the world building that goes into this. Like, James Cameron has created a world that is visually fascinating to watch, and that is a very good quality to have when you're making a movie. Yeah, that played into it a lot for me. Uh, I'm going to give it a, as far as the science goes, um, I am very much a fan of movies who, like, Movies and storytelling that takes it upon themselves to be creative in their bullshitting. Uh, this 
was to a degree, but not enough for me on how they did the linking up with the avatars. So I'm actually going to give the science a two out of five. Okay. I almost gave it a two out of yeah. five, but I, I think I wanted a little bit more, a little, just like a, a few more breadcrumbs. I agree with that. Kind of stuff. Yeah. That said, I'm going to give the entertainment factor a five out of five. Nice. I actually really, really like this movie. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. part of it, like you mentioned, is the fact that all of the graphics at this point, 10 years after the movie's been made, help hold up. But it's also very creative, and I really appreciate this, like, big world that yes. he's made. Yeah, it is I, a very creative landscape that he's pictured. And, like, even though the plot is not fully original, it's not like it's a bad line for a movie. Yeah. Know? I think that we all just also love action-adventure films. I think it's all one of our favorite yeah. uh, genres. I would so, agree with that. Uh, and this is, this, in regards to recent, uh, as in the past ten years... This one, uh, this one got a lot of um, it, it got a lot of attention and a lot of press in regards to uh, being kind of a juggernaut in regards to this faction of the action adventure. There aren't a whole lot of big movies that come out that fit that. Agreed. All right, you guys ready? Yep. That's the sound of a mailbox opening. Is this I know. I, I totally got that. I watched you open that mailbox. Yeah. Why you open? Why did you close it? I opened two my boxes because we have two questions today. Hey! Oh, two questions. Okay. Yeah, boy. Read them, Ken. Read them. All right, so I'm going to read the first half of uh, Bart Sturrid Hoffman, uh, the question that he sent us on our Gmail. That's at realsciencecast at gmail.com. Uh, he said, hey, buddies, and Kenan. I was so glad to hear you guys were watching Avatar. It is my favorite M. Night Shyamalama movie. <laughs> but he's not really the last airbender, is he? I kid, I kid. I have several questions about the Avatar that you actually watched, mostly about the reproduction of the species, but I'll save those for your After Dark series. Uh, there's a bunch of trees <laughs> and plants and stuff. Why can't they breathe? There's oxygen in the air because I see plenty of fire. Is it this just a space problem or something you re- relate back to Earth? And how close are we to cryosleep? Love you guys, Bart. Well, Bart, thanks for the question. Thanks so much, Bart Strid. Um, I So I guess we covered the cryosleep part in the beginning, and I guess we also touched on the atmospheric conditions but we did. it is a good point to bring out Bart that like the first thing we thought when we saw the movie we're like yeah. there's lush vegetation all over the place I mean oxygen should not be a problem these plants conceivably are pumping out oxygen because that's what plants do they take in CO2 and they produce oxygen as a byproduct and there were also the normal things you find on earth like clouds and water right, which exactly. implies the, the atmospheric chemical composition is at least somewhat similar right I think if we're doing hand waving for the movie we would say that uh, there are other things in the air that prevent people from breathing because if they breathe them for very long, they will die. Right. Like ammonia and xenon. And like xenon, the, definitely. And they say hydrogen sulfide, which like there obviously can't be too much over you to have acid rain. But right. I mean, that's not happening in this movie. Nice, good catch. Yeah. So, Kenan, what is the second question? Thank you for your question, Bart. Thanks, Thanks Bart. Thanks, Bart. So the only other thing we got when we blasted out that we're going to be watching Avatar, we got uh, a tweet from Matthew at B 4 on Twitter. Best science in the whole movie is in the opening. The interstellar spacecraft depicted was probably the most realistic ever put in a Hollywood film. I agree with that. Actually, pretty realistic. I don't until, know. I think a lot of films look realistic. Until the cryosleep part. I was going to say the big un- spinning until thing. Interstellar came out and, and did the, the... Oh, wait. No, The Martian one was good. That was 2015. Yeah, the Marshall was good, too. The Marshall was good. I will say, though, this one, when, like, for its time, was yeah. pretty... Yeah, I think it was definitely a, a good spaceship. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we had a whole argument about, like, giant spinning things in spaceships, but I think we'll save that for another yeah, podcast. Yeah, dude, uh, we talked about it for a long time. a long one. Yeah. We can do that as bonus content, maybe on our boop, 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 Patreon. 
oh yeah kind of you should tell people about the patreon did yeah we, hold on did we start a patreon we did not start a patreon <laughs> uh mostly because we're busy i'm so busy we're about but to graduate i am gonna start Eventually. one this weekend we didn't hear any complaints i didn't think we would so i'm gonna start one and if you guys want to start throwing money at us then we'll try and use it to make the podcast better Otherwise, uh, the best way that you can help us is to follow us on Twitter and follow us on Facebook. And definitely, definitely, if you like the show, hop on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use and leave us a five-star review uh, and tell us why you like us. And if you don't like the show, do us a favor, don't review it, but (laughs) contact us and tell us why it's garbage and we'll try and make it better. Yeah, we are always open to feedback. Absolutely. So, again, you can find us on uh, Twitter at Real Science Cast and also on Facebook at Real Science Cast. And we have an Instagram also that is Real Science Cast. And I'll actually take a picture this time because I did not. I also think it's worth thanking Otis McDonald. Yeah, thanks, Otis. For our great music yes. that we play. Thank you, Otis. And also thank you to Shannon O'Neill from Fort Wayne, Indiana for suggesting Avatar. Yes, thank you, Shannon. It was a great suggestion. Dang! Are you just surprised that Pace remembered that? Yeah, I'm yeah. super good surprised job, Pace. Good that. job. That's very good. So we should mention, before we get off the podcast, and before we argue about the fact that Pace hasn't seen The Godfather yet, he thinks it's a bad movie, uh, the next movie we are planning to watch at this moment is the 1985 movie by Stuart Gordon, Reanimator. Starring Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West, and I am so pumped to watch this and movie. This was suggested to us by a listener, Eric Klump. So, Eric, thank you Thanks, for Klump. the suggestion. Thanks, Klump. Um, I'm Klump. looking forward to watching it. It's his last name. Yes, nice. don't make fun of him. Jesus, he please. plays football. Jesus, what? <laughs> right? That's how that works. Anyway, we're gonna watch Reanimator, which is about. <laughs> I hope you can guess reanimating dead tissues. We're gonna come at you with some Frankenstein shit. Send us your questions at the places Sean mentioned. Otherwise, you can find me on the internet at lolkennon on literally everything. I've actually started playing more WoW recently in the like quote-unquote extra time that I have, so maybe you can find me on there. I'm on lane on the Alliance side. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Can't find me on the internet. I don't know why you keep asking me. I don't know why I do either. <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to talk to Sean, get on the Facebook. Pace, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can also find me at Michael C. Pace on the Twitter. Talk to me. Oh, and on LinkedIn, where you write. And on LinkedIn, where I write science communication articles. I need to get on that. I'm in the middle of one right now, so hopefully soon. Uh, but I'm also on Battle.net. Uh, yes, as, you are. As Pace. P-A-C-E. Goodbye, everybody. My name's Kenan Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. I'm Michael Pace. And remember, guys, there it is. you don't need good science to make a good movie. You always get this, like, really, really big smile on right before you say that. But because... it sure makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> Stay classy. Nice. Really embracing the sign off. I hate it. Cannon's looking up the question. Gotta find the questions from the internet.